Today, it's question and answer on the podcast. Plus, we examine a monumental event in the history of public education. Jesus Culture and Red Rocks Worship are in the house for an interview. We may even touch a bit on the book of Acts, but I don't know if we're going to have the time. We do all this, but sadly, there is no studio audience. Thankfully, we got Chris McEwen in the house. This is the Deep End Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome on Tuesday night, 7 p.m. to the Deep End Podcast, brought to you through the magic of the internet, (laughs) technology, YouTube, Facebook, all the other channels through which you listen to or watch this podcast. We're so glad that you're here. Let us know in the comments where you're watching from, or if you're listening, you can't comment, but we're glad you're listening. Also, want to welcome our Woonsocket Radio audience uh, who listen to this on uh, Thursday night. So welcome in. Like and subscribe the Deep End on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Deep End TV. Make sure you go there, like and subscribe. Like the video and subscribe. Become a Deep Ender, a Depender, in which you depend on the Deep End. <laughs> like and subscribe. The Deep End TV. Um, today, we welcome to the audience, uh, not to the audience, the studio. There is no audience today. To the studio, Chris McEwen. I can, I can be an audience member. Yes, thank yeah. you. A contributing one, maybe. Yeah, yeah. contribute. And uh, our media team, faithfully over there in the corner, wonderful people helping put the deep end together. No audience today. Next week, back with an audience today. No audience. Yeah. Anyway, you're here because this is a special question and answer session of the deep end. Yeah. Um, welcome back, too. Thank you. It's thank been you. a while. Yeah, last time I did this was with you and Cheryl. I know. We that banished you after that. From that the I did a horrible job, and no. I deserved a <laughs> banishment, but no. <laughs> no, you're back because you're going to ask the questions. We're going to answer them and have a conversation, too, because I think sometimes you just need to have a conversation. I've been doing a lot of talking on the deep end for a long time, and as you can tell, my voice is a little bit hoarse because I've been under the weather, unfortunately, for the last couple of days. Mm. Uh, but by God's grace, we're doing it today, so happy Tuesday, everybody. Before we get to the questions, I want to do a little bit of news because I think it's always interesting to do a little bit of talking about what's been happening yeah. in the world. This is kind of an interesting anniversary this week. Actually, tomorrow, Wednesday, is the official anniversary. But this week in history, John T. Scopes, the public school science teacher at the center of the famed legal battle, Scopes Monkey Trial. You've probably heard that phrase bandied about. Over, It was a, it was a trial in uh, the state of Tennessee that decided whether or not schools could teach evolution. Now, the Bible fundamentalists won that trial, but eventually the verdict was overturned, and then eventually the Bible was kicked out of public schools, and evolution is now the standard curricula of the day. Well, I just wanted to bring us through a little history lesson because sometimes Christians aren't even aware of how this happens. It's true. How do we get evolution in our public education system? You know, you think about that. It's still still a theory. It's still a theory. But it... But it's in our books in yeah. schools, yeah. And it's like it's got to be taught. It's got to be taught, and yeah. and the Bible cannot be taught, mm-hmm. which is so ironic because for the first two hundred years of our history, actually for the first three hundred years of our American educational history, it was all about the Bible. Harvard, Princeton, Yale, all these Ivy League colleges—they were founded to instruct ministers to preach and teach the Bible. Yeah. Today, the Bible is outlawed in public education. And evolution is completely fine and the standard of the day, like I said earlier. Well, let's give you a little history lesson about this famous trial 
It's called, actually, the monkey trial. We call it the Scopes monkey trial because John T. Scopes was the teacher in the center of the controversy. But did you know that he was only 24 years old? Oh, wow. At the time of the trial. It, uh, the trial began in the summer of 1925. Scopes was found guilty and fined a whopping $100 mm. <laughs> for teaching evolution. Again, like I said, the verdict was overturned by technicality. Uh, this case represented a major public relations defeat for fundamentalist Christianity because although they won the trial, they lost in the court of opin- public opinion. Mm-hmm. And eventually uh, the Supreme Court would hear another uh, case and they would render uh, Bible teaching obsolete or illegal, technically, in schools and evolution uh, per- perfectly fine. Wow. Well, you know, it's amazing to just hear this information because I looked it up and I was just, I was just, you know, the church, the church of today has to hear this and deep enders, you got to hear this. Uh, Scope's funeral was held in Shreveport, Louisiana, ironically in a Roman Catholic church mm-hmm. in 1970, uh, as he converted to Catholicism later in life. Oh, wow. So amazingly, the center of the birth and the origination of, uh, you know, anti, if you will, biblical education. Yeah. Converted to a Christian faith <laughs> before he died. Um, and I don't know when, but before he died. Now, there's a New York Times article that you can look up. You can actually look it up. I'm going to read a couple of portions of it that basically talks about how this trial came to be. It didn't sprout out of nowhere. It wasn't just accidentally brought to the uh, Tennessee Supreme Court. It was engineered, literally engineered by what I would call God and Bible-hating progressives who seriously wanted to steal the minds of young people under the guise of separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times we see, you know, the culture shifting so radically from biblical values. Understand there's always a force behind it. Yeah. There's, there's There's a system. There's a machine. And we're so ignorant of this as Christians. We think, oh, I guess it's just the nature of the world. No. There is a God-hating organization, a demonic spiritual realm that is out to attack people of faith and faith values, especially Christian faith values. And we have to realize that what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, spiritual forces, wickedness, and heavenly places. Well, that's a real thing. And it takes its form in so many of these historic moments in our, in our country's history. Well, Here's how the Times article recounts the story. Uh, The trial, this is straight out of the Times article. The trial had its origins in a fervor of fundamentalism in Tennessee. A legislator named John Washington Butler, clerk of the Round Lick Association of Primitive Baptists. How about about that name for your Bible (laughs) dialogue? Sounds like a great nomination. Uh, framed this bill, and the bill was basically put into law in 1925 to outlaw the teaching of evolution. Now, when the bill was signed by the governor of Tennessee, Austin P. at the time, he basically said, "Look, I'm going to sign this bill, but you know, it's never going to be a, it's never going to be an active statute. It's more of like a, you know, a moral victory for Christians." Okay, you know what I'm saying? Sure. In New York, however, the fledgling ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union, uh-huh. which is anything but the American Civil Liberties Union, they have now stopped defending many Christian causes. They are they 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 purvey to be the defenders of truth, justice, and freedoms for all people, except now if you don't toe the line on certain, you know, mm-hmm. issues that uh, the progressives of our culture have deemed the truth of the day. Well, anyway, they were fledgling in the 1920s, and they found out about this law, and they began searching. This is what they did now. They began searching for a Tennessee biology teacher who would agree mm. to test the law intentionally. 
So this is set up. Sure. And so they did this. They ran an advertisement in the Chattanooga newspaper. And there was also another article in the Chattanooga Times. And a group of educators in Dayton, uh, Tennessee, I guess there's a Dayton, Tennessee, uh, they were sitting around at a drugstore. They saw the article. And they decided that they were going to put their town on the map, a town of 1,500 people mm. on the map, by sending to the ACLU a boy yeah. by the name of John T. Scopes, who was known around town as an opponent of the law that you couldn't teach evolution in schools. Again, this is all trumped up. This yeah. is all like engineered. It's very interesting. So Scopes got instant notice from the University of Kentucky, where he had been hired as an athletic coach and a teacher uh, by the Dayton school system the previous September at $150 a month. He was a believer in absolute freedom of discussion in the classroom, and he agreed to take part in the case. So he, he says, yeah, I'll, I'll be the test case for this, you know, putting this law to the test. Well, guess what? He had never taught high school biology before. Oh, okay. He had never taught biology in high school before, and he gets this huge opportunity at the behest of the American Civil Liberties Union to test this law basically to eradicate biblical instruction from the public schools or to become the seeds of that. Wow. It's so incredible. So the, the article goes on. He had briefly uh, taught a short uh, amount of the subject of biology during a regular teacher's illness. So he was a substitute teacher mm-hmm. in a biology class. Those were his credentials. <laughs> Those were his credentials for being the root cause of evolution taking hold of our public education's curriculum. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Anyway, long story short, he's the center of the case. He said nothing during the entire uh, hearing. Okay. Uh, of course, you wouldn't want a 24-year-old to speak up. Mm-hmm. All the power players, all the, all the engineering behind the scenes were doing their thing, fighting this biblical teaching in public schools. Well... The long story short is today we do not have the Bible taught in schools and we have evolution taught, uh, you know, hand and fist with history and all the other, yeah. all the other subjects. Now, you think about this, Chris, and you know, because we were both, you were public ed- educated? No, you I was until high school and then I went to a Catholic high school. Oh, right. Okay. Yep. I, was, I was public educated. Okay. And so, you know, I, I, was, I was taught about evolution. Mm. It was taught as a theory. And I still think it is taught as a theory. I'm it, it is on the other end of the name, evolution the theory. theory evolution, I mean, right? it's a theory. And, uh, you know, even Charles Darwin, if you ever read Origin of Species, yeah. he spends the last chapter asking people who mm-hmm. read his book to disprove, disprove the theory. Yeah. And he says that the lack of fossil evidence is probably the greatest testament against his yeah, theory. He gives you what, you what you need to use against it. Yeah. Sure. So he's actually asking you, please, disprove it. Right, right. <laughs> Well, you think about the impact that teaching our children in our public schools uh, that they are not made in the image of God, but rather highly evolved mutations based on a cosmic accident. Mm -hmm. You just think about the implications of this, and then we wonder why children today are more depressed than ever, Mm. are more medicated than ever, more more medicated with antidepressants than ever. Like These are at an all-time high in our public education system. That school shootings are actually a thing, a regular occurrence, such that... Unless it's more than two or three people shot in a school, we almost hardly ever hear about it. Mm-hmm. And then instead of being taught that they are accountable to God for their actions, and, uh, and by their actions I mean their private actions, and that they are accountable to this God who will judge them, instead of being taught that, they were taught that they're basically just animals at heart. And then we wonder why there's no moral conscience today, mm. why we have serious problems in our culture, why we have income inequity, you know, think about this. 
Greed and sexual morality were the two great sins of Israel's past. Mm. They were the two greatest sins most talked about in the New Testament scriptures. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, remember when Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, the two sins that he takes on are, uh, actually, he takes on uh, hatred and murder and lust and sexual morality. Yeah. But greed was the, the number one topic that Jesus talked about more than anything else. And you think about, what's the problem with income inequality? You hear all the politicians now. It's a, pol- it's a political system, right. a political season. And they're talking more and more than ever before about um, you know, income inequality mm-hmm. and you know, women getting equal pay. Sure. But what's the root of the problem? The root of the problem is greed. Right, right. At the end of the day, that's what it yeah. is, right? So yeah. when you don't get taught that you are going to be accountable for how you use your money, because it's not really your money but God's money, and you're just taught, well, I'm just a highly evolved monkey. Well, what does it matter if I, I'm greedy? Mm-hmm. That, that's, not, that's not a thing. Remember Gordon Gecko in Wall Street? Greed yeah. is yeah, good. Yeah, greed is good. So anyway, educationweek.org reports the following. These are the facts. These are the, these are the, the unintended consequences of taking Scripture and, and teaching about God and the Bible out of our public education system. Textbooks that, are u- that used to be written at the 12th grade level for 12th graders are now being written at the 7th grade level. Wow. This is from educationweek.org. This is a non-Christian education website. Uh, it says topics that had previously been taught in high school are now having to be taught in college again. So we have to learn these things again and again because we're not smart. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have the fear of the Lord, you're not going to grow in wisdom. Uh, the, the, the educationweek.org reports that since the 1970s, the United States public school system has made no gains at all in the quality of education, even though it has doubled its spending on public education. In other words, you can throw all the money at it in the world. It's not going to improve if you don't have the foundation of God's word. And the Atlantic reports about this. On America's latest national assessment of educational progress exams, fewer than one-third of eighth-grade students were proficient in math, science, and reading. Sad. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. Yeah. Like, this scripture proves itself true again and again, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. And then it says, the World Economic Forum ranks the U.S. 48th, 48th in math and science education. And by the way, over the last 40 years, China... And their educational system has come from well behind mm-hmm. the uh, civilized, or what would you call the technologically advanced civilizations or nations, to leading the technologically advanced civilizations in the world of academic achievement, which, by the way, is happening in part and parcel with China becoming increasingly Christian. Yeah, knew you were going to go there. Right? Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of evidence from world missions organizations that are talking about that. By, by 2050, uh, China will have the most Christians uh, per capita wow. of all the nations in the world. Wow. And isn't it ironic that as China gets more and more educated yeah. and advanced, they're also getting more and more Christian. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just food for thought. <laughs> this week in history, the death of John T. Scopes. Died a Catholic, but was used by the system to take the scriptures out of the education system. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, God will raise up another revival in this country, and we will see... Oh, oh, this is true, actually. The Washington Post reports this, that the Bible is being taught again in 10 states. Yeah, saw that. Yeah, you saw this? Yeah. 
Uh, and so far, so good. The reports yeah. are very good. It's just like a theological discussion. Right. It's not being, but Which is again, cool. if it's, if one's a theory, why can't the other be discussed as exactly. theory at least? Well, know? how about it's just discussed as the foundations of our Republic? Sure. So that, much yes. of our, so much of Western civilization, we talked about this in a podcast earlier. Right. So much of Western civilization is built on the principles of the scripture and the Judeo Christian mindset. Right. And so now they're starting to um, teach in the public schools, and again, a lot of the Bible Belt states, but still, the results so far are very good, very positive, and mm-hmm. hopefully God will use this to, you know, educate the rest of the states yeah. and say, hey, you know, let's get back on the uh, Word of God. Right. <laughs> anyway, that's the news. Let's go. We had Red Rocks worship in our house at Waters Church this past weekend, yeah. and Jesus Culture, yeah. and so they did a special sit-down interview with one of our worship directors, our worship director, yeah, Josh, Josh Daigle. Daigle. So we want to go to that interview. I uh, hope you enjoy this content. Uh, watch this. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. I am Josh Daigle, the worship director here at Waters Church. I have some brand new friends here with me today. You guys want to introduce yourselves? Tell us who you are, what well, you do? What, we'd like it if you introduced us each, one by nope, one. Nope, I'm not doing that. <laughs> no, I want, I want to hear what you guys think of you. Uh, my name's Corey from Red Rocks Church in Denver, Colorado. Oh. <laughs> And I'm Chris McClarney, and I live in Nashville. I'm in a band called Jesus Culture, and then I get to hang out with these guys. Uh, I'm Jake. I'm also with Red Rocks in Colorado. My name's Adaisy. I'm also with Red Rocks Church in Colorado. Awesome. So cool. So uh, really, uh, really happy to have you. So tell me, have you guys always known each other? Have you always been friends? Have you always played music together? How did this cool little collaboration happen? We just met. Uh, I've never... Played with you. I've hung out with Jake a bunch and a Daisy, but we just met. Yeah, There's but we're best buds. Sure. It's, it's yeah, I can definitely. We're definitely best buddies. See that. Yeah. 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 The rest of us, uh, Red Rocks, we've been teammates for about five-ish years uh-huh. or so. Cool. Ish. Cool. That's awesome. So you guys are all worship leaders at the church. You're all on staff, so you do this full time. Mm-hmm. Cool. Sure. That's awesome. That's really good to hear. I remember when when we first started talking about this concert and this tour and everything. I remember I was like, wait, are they playing together? Are they playing separately? And then when I was like, oh man, I think they're all like, this yeah. is going to be good. Yeah. This is yeah, exciting. That's, that's, uh, the, we that's what, yeah, and just, uh, we all have accordions. And um, <laughs> there's a part in the night where, uh, yeah. But our drummer gets <laughs> the hands. <laughs> 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 Hallelujah for the cries. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. So. Individually, how long have you guys been doing music? Is this something you've been doing your whole life? Is it something you always kind of knew you wanted to be doing? Um, I've been playing music since I picked it up like my junior year of high school. Um, no, I, I never thought I would be a worship leader um, mm-hmm. at all, but it feels like, um, you know, God, God's definitely led me here. And I did other things before being a worship leader and working on staff at a church mm-hmm. and yeah, I I remember when I was really young. Um, so music's always been like a big part of my life and my family. We're all musical and we played sports and all of that. I have three older brothers. And so um, pretty musical family growing up. And I remember just randomly thinking, I would love to be a worship leader at my home church growing up and then be able to like travel and share the gospel of Jesus through music. And I remember saying, I don't know how you're going to do that, Lord, but that'd be really cool. And then I like skipped off with tacos or something. And so then... It's very accurate. <laughs> and then... Um, when we got to play at um, Red Rocks Amphitheater last couple years ago, I forget when that was, with Jesus Culture, actually. Um, I remember just having a moment where the Lord like whispered to me, I was listening, and I just like lost it. Yeah. And 
that has always been a really cool part of my relationship with the Lord is music. And so um, I grew up with, thankfully I grew up with Christian parents that raised me in the church, but didn't raise me to be like, hopefully not the weirdest kid in the world. So that's debatable. We'll see. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of my journey with music. That's, that's what cool. you asked us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've to. always been in the church, or you yeah, were not I mean, in the church? yeah, my parents believe pretty strongly in that mm-hmm. proverb that says, "Raise up a child in the way he or she should go, and he goes up won't depart from it." So, um, yeah, was raised in the church. Um, grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Bible Belt. Yeah, he did too. That's, so, yeah, that was. Um, Honestly, I, I loved it. I remember memorizing scripture like in song in yeah. first grade. I still know the full armor of God because we learned it like through music, actually. Yeah. So um, that's one of my favorite things actually about growing up in Tulsa. It was a good place to grow up, Bible Belt yeah, area. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Oh, that's really cool. What about you guys? Um, yeah, I grew up in church. Um, my dad was a Southern Baptist youth pastor, so I was always at church and Loved music. When I was about 14, I was at a youth group meeting, like home home group, and someone said, does anybody here know how to lead worship? And honestly, I just thought it can't be that hard. So I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know how to lead worship. <laughs> you just sing the songs in front of people, right? Um, and yeah, so I started leading worship for that home group. And So you played music at that time? Started well, not, not really. I... Man, I knew some chords. Yeah. I didn't own a guitar yet. So I bought a guitar after I said I'd do it and learned three chords. I mean, you, it's really not hard no. to be a worship leader. <laughs> I mean, genuinely. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to be a good worship leader. It's not hard to just lead worship. I can't just, stress how easy it is. <laughs> it's so easy. This. So I started leading worship for the youth group. And then I, I actually was trying to get a record deal when I was like 18 and things got serious and I just felt the Lord say no and I was like okay so I moved to the inner city of Nashville and just served the poor for like three years and that's where I met my wife uh, and we were going to be missionaries to Brazil and like second week of being married a church in Franklin Tennessee asked if I'd lead worship one week and they took up a love offering and they gave us like six grand and then they said, can you lead worship next week? And I was like, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> can we do the offering? Yeah, like six grand a week here. Yeah. I'm working here. Uh, but that turned into uh, 10 years of leading worship at a church. And um, about halfway through that, I felt like God said, I want you to make a CD. But you know how God sounds like you talking to your own self? So I was like, God, is this you or is this me? And I said, God, if you'll provide the money, then I'll do it. And this sounds like a fake story, but it's true. I get an email from a guy I've never met, and he said, God told me to give you money. What do you need money for? And I was like, guitar strings and drum heads at church. And at the end of the email, I was just trying to be funny. And I said, or if you write me a check for 15 grand, I'll make a record, lol. And he sent a check for $15,000 with my name on it. So I was like, I guess I have to make a record now, which meant that I had to start writing. So I started writing, and yeah, it just kind of happened. And that was your first sort of attempt at writing, or you had written Well, I'd been writing when I was trying to get a record deal. I was writing. But um, yeah, this was the first time I was trying to write for my church Mm -hmm. there in Franklin, and 
and for the church in general. But yeah. Awesome. Jesus Culture guys were my MySpace friends. That's how long ago it was. And <laughs> um, and uh, and our sound guy at church posted the audio when I sang some of the songs at church, posted it to MySpace. And then the Jesus Culture guys heard it and they recorded a couple of the songs for their first couple of CDs that I had written. One of those is a song called Your Love Never Fails and it just went everywhere. And yeah. so that kind of sealed our like BFF status. Yeah. And um, yeah, so fast forward like six years ago, seven years ago, we were like, let's make music together. So we did and then it just kind of happened. Yeah. We They were like, come out on the road and then uh, record another song on this record. And then before long it was like, I guess I'm in the band. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, it happened real organically, and they've just been friends for forever. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's great. So you three have always maybe been playing together? Have you always been? No. That, so I, I joined them th- uh, three and a half years ago. Um, so I'm, I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma as well. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't grow up in church or anything. Okay. Um, I, at most, would go to, like, midnight mass with uh, my, my family's um, they, they go to a Catholic church somewhere in Tulsa. Yeah. Um, so I, I got saved at 17 and kind of at the same time was like, oh, I think I'm going to do this whole worship thing. Yeah. I had no context to understand what that meant um, or to know what was coming my way at all. But um, fell in love with doing it. Became like the, your typical like worship hippie guy that, yeah. that just was at the church at all times, no matter what. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's, it kind of started me en- really enjoying music. Yeah. And then um, obviously when I got saved, it was it was this big like emotional experience because I had kind of grow- grown up hearing like that's not really real. There's a- at best it's a crutch for people. So have yeah. just like take pity on people that need it, you know. Um, so when I when I encountered the presence of God, I was so just rocked by it. Um, and I kind of, it was just this one like big swift motion from the Lord. It was like, all right, I got your heart. Now look at the worship leader. You're going to do that for the rest of your, your life. And it was just this wow. cool moment. Boom, you know, I'm kind of just new. So I've been doing it ever since and joined up with Red Rocks three and a half years ago. Yeah, wow. So since, since all of you are sort of touring and, and doing music on the road, do you, do you find it's difficult to manage and balance family life with spiritual life, with <clears throat> church life? And how is sort of your approach tackling that I think we should defer to Chris on this oh why uh yes it's it's not easy I mean the so I've got three kids um and a wife and um I'm also full-time at a church in Nashville so I tour on my own like what I'm doing now with these guys with Jesus culture and then full-time at the church and the family and I wish I had a great answer like oh the secret is (laughs) But I feel like it's just uh, you constantly walk in relationship with your wife and with leadership at church and just say, I, I know there's a calling on my life, and how, how do we make this work? Yeah. And um, my wife is the biggest deal. I want to make sure that I'm just not leaving her. Because when we go out, I mean, we're having a blast. So I feel a little yeah. guilty. No. I'm having so much fun. <laughs> She's having to take three kids to school. Yeah. I mean, I only feel a little guilty. Just a little. But I, we're having a ton of fun. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I fully know how to balance that. 
So I, yeah, I don't, I'm not married, I don't have kids. Uh, so I have far less to juggle, I would say. Um, but I just think anybody that works in ministry yeah. it has a probably a really tough time with balancing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because because if you're not if you're not married, you don't have kids, and it's kind of expect it's always like expected, even mm-hmm. if it's un- unspoken. It's like, yeah. well, you have more time, so you mm-hmm. can, you can do this, you can yeah. go, you can you can be the one we send out, you can be the one we, you know, like st- stay later, make the demo, make yeah. do the thing. Um, so I I've had you know a, a lot a lot of tension with with wanting to serve and and wanting to like also safeguard uh my sanity yeah um which i think just anybody that's that is involved with any kind of serving yeah will run into it's a constant sort of struggle with people in ministry it's like how do i balance the weekend what happens during the week yeah what happens at home yeah i think that's a that's a huge huge thing for everyone in ministry yeah how do we find balance when like my Saturdays and Sundays are at church, so I can't go to the baseball game, right. or I can't go to the cookout. So, yeah, there's there's also just an aspect of I'm, you know, in in Denver where where we are, there's a a, a lot of young professionals and a mm-hmm. lot of people that I'm surrounded by that, you know, <clears throat> Monday through Friday they have their job, and Friday they leave their job and they check out. Yeah, you know, um, well we're like we're involved with something that's like, the, like we, we are. We we don't check out no, you ever, you know, you and like you're, we're like personally responsible for the, like evangel like evangelizing this to the second coming of Jesus. It's, yeah. it's like this never ending thing. There's yeah. really no like end of end you of the tunnel. You can't thing. punch out and right. not think about it. <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 this thing where it's like uh, you have to get really good at drawing boundaries and saying like, hey, like I'm I'm sorry that uh, I can't do that on a Friday evening, but like I will go crazy through the rest of the weekend if I'm not mm. I'm not safeguarding this. Yeah. So that's really good. Yeah, I don't know. This might sound bad. I don't I don't think it does, but like because I really, really love our job and what we get to do, but I feel like the opposite, which is we do have an amazing message that we have to share, but at the same time, like the most important ministry that I have personally is my family. Mm. And so like I don't know, if you're a worship leader on staff at a church, like I think you should be saying no. Like I I know it's a hard balance, especially because most of us really like our job. But at the same time, like, you, I don't feel like you should be missing your kids' games. And I don't feel like you should be, you know. Yeah. I mean, even if, I know this sounds bad, but if you're working at a place that's, like, forcing you to choose between going to your kids' game or losing your job, then I guess I'd say lose your job. Because the reason that you got into worship leading in the first place is for people. And if you wanted to have that kind of high-pressure job where it's like you can't ever take time away, then you should go do something that you're going to make a ton of money stock at broker. least. Yeah, be a stockbroker. <laughs> <laughs> like, make a lot of money or do something for it for that trade-off. But if you're doing yeah. this thing and, like, I, you know, I don't feel like you should put your family on the back burner. Um, no, that's a, that's a great point. You know, not that it's always easy. No, no, definitely not. I also think it's really, it's really important to balance um, personal spirituality yeah. with the ministry aspect of things. We have a leader um, at Red Rocks that always tells our worship team, you are responsible. You're solely responsible for your spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't do that for you. You can't do it for each other. It's all you. And so that's been something that's really mm-hmm. stuck out to me because I think subconsciously sometimes, like, as a leader in ministry, you can, that almost becomes your relationship with the Lord is doing ministry for others and leading others. And um, for me, what I always have to come back to is I have to be there first like personally I can't lead anybody where I've never been and so as much as I mean I don't have a family either as far as my own kids and a husband or anything but I agree with a lot of 
the things that everyone's saying, but I think it's so important to also remember the balance of, you know, the personal side of our relationship with the Lord mm. so that we can be empowered to lead and be healthy just yeah. as much as balancing, like, everything else, family yeah. time and people things. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a battle I think a lot of people in ministry have to sort of fight at first. It's like mm-hmm. my, my relationship with God um, in my personal life has to be different than just, right. you know, just showing up on the weekend and like, I need to take care of myself yeah. in addition, mm-hmm. in order for me to be able to exactly. take care of the people who God exactly. has put me, you know, mm-hmm. to shepherd. So that's a great point. Yeah. Like, well, I'm getting the signal to wrap it up. Wow. It's, this has been a, a long chat, but I just want to thank you guys for this conversation. This has been a blast. It's been a lot of fun and I'm really looking forward to hearing you guys play tonight. Low so. expectations. Low, <laughs> nope. If you low, get them low, low enough, it'll blow you away. <laughs> <laughs> Just telling you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Sandra. thank you. No, Thanks. thank you guys so much. I'm really looking forward to tonight. Thanks, man. Awesome. See you guys. God bless. So that was a cool interview. Yeah, very cool. Really cool guys. Yeah, I love seeing Josh with all them. They all have hats, too. It's a cool thing. If you Evidently. wear a hat, then you are a cool, hip person. And more spiritual. And more spiritual, yes. Lead oh. me to the Lord. Buy your hat. <laughs> to the easy thing. Okay. So let's get to the deep end question and answers. We want your questions. Always send them in because we 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 uh, pocket them, and then we're going to bring them out on a regular basis. Every four or five weeks or so, we'll break from our teaching through the Book of Acts and get into question and answers. Again, that number is 508-316-9333. And I have a special sound that when when it's time for a new question, it'll just sound like this. <laughs> I feel like I'm a robot, and that's my button to go, right? Yes. I'm so ready. are we ready for the questions? Here we go. Yes. So first question, why do just Pentecostals get the gift of tongues? All right, well, that's an interesting question. <laughs> the way um, it's worded, yeah. Yeah, right. very interesting question. They don't, are, they are not the only ones who get the gift of tongues. Uh, that is uh, just basically that Pentecostals have been associated with tongues because they're the ones who believe. Right. And again, this is hearkening back to the very divided denominational days of the church in the 1950s, you know, 60s, 70s. Mm-hmm. Those days are kind of over. A lot of non-denominational churches like ours yeah. are popping up all over the place and growing leaps and bounds because people are done with the d- division. Mm-hmm. They want to have unity around what's most essential. And the most essential thing is Jesus is Lord. All right. So it's not just Pentecostals. It's anyone who the Lord gives the gift of tongues to. I will say this. Um, I don't agree with the classical Pentecostal denominational uh, belief that you are only f- truly filled with the Holy Spirit if you speak in tongues. Right. So a lot of denominations in the Pentecostal movement call it the initial, quote-unquote, initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that. I, I do believe that you are filled with the Holy Spirit when you know it. <laughs> And, and you do know it. Yeah. Uh, we talked about D.L. Moody last week. Um, yeah. I know that when I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I did speak in tongues. Mm-hmm. But I also know of a lot of Christians, they are spirit-filled, but they don't speak in tongues. Right. You know, the great, the great uh, story that I, I, I think back to is um, there was these, these Welsh, Welsh or uh, no, I'm sorry, Irish Pentecostals, and they were having a conversation about Billy Graham. And the guy says, oh, you know, if Billy Graham had only been speaking in tongues, imagine how many more people he would have brought to the Lord. <laughs> like, it's like, wait a second, hold on a minute. You know, he brought he brought millions to the Lord, right, yeah. and I don't think he ever testified to speaking in tongues. The point is, your Holy Spirit-filled life should lead you to what we talked about last week and the week before, which is to amplify the message of Jesus. Yeah. 
If it's not amplifying the message of Jesus in your thoughts, I'm sorry, in your life and in your act and in your word, well, you need to pray for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's meant to amplify, amplify what God has already put in you uh, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and salvation. So, no, it's not just Pentecostals. Right. Okay, next question. Uh, so that was Melissa Vargas. We're just saying names of people that put their names in there. This one's from Nick Gallagher. Nick asks, and these first three questions are on tongues because you are in the book of Acts right now. But yeah, Nick Gallagher asks, just talked about it. Does anyone at Waters, has anyone at Waters received the gift of interpreting tongues? Well, Nick, we don't really test it because we don't have public t- uh, speaking in tongues. Right. So um, that's kind of something that had happened kind of organically and through leadership direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say I ever got up there and said, hey, everybody, no speaking in tongues in public. I never did that. Yeah. But I do think I, you know, and we did an actual episode of the podcast way back in season one when we went through First Corinthians about tongues in the public assembly. Yeah. So you can reference that in our archives. I don't know if it's vid- I don't know if there's a video archive to that, but I know it's on SoundCloud back at our episode of First uh, Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14. But what he's basically talking about that there is the classical, again, Pentecostal doctrine, charismatic doctrine. I also believe this, too, that when there's a, when there's a tongue uttered in public, in public uh, gathering of the Christians, then the, there should be an interpretation of that tongue. Right. And the key word there is interpretation, not translation. Okay. So a lot of people have tried to do this. They take the, they take the tongue that they hear on some video and they punch it into Google Translate. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever heard of that? No. <laughs> and they try to, okay, that's not a real language. You know, they try to disprove it. Well, gotcha. it's not translation, it's interpretation. Yeah. And remember that Paul says it's the tongue of men or angels. Mm-hmm. So there are some tongues, by the way, that we have never even heard yet because they're so, you know, are either archaic or they're a dead language or they're a language that we, of, of the heavenly realms. Right. Um, that tongues are uttered in, biblically speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's interpretation. In other words, here's what the Spirit is saying through that tongue. Right. Now, you know, I don't want to get too technical here, but so is, don't, don't try to parse too much here. It's basically what you want to see in the Scriptures is if there's an utterance of tongues in the public assembly, then there should be an interpretation for the benefit of all to hear and benefit from. But if there's no interpretation, then be quiet. And by the way, this is not your private tongue mm. that God, I believe, gives to some people to pray in tongues. Um, so you don't pray your private tongue in the public assembly. Right. And uh, Paul also says in that First Corinthians chapter 14, he says, I would that you all speak in tongues. Yeah. But then remember that he says, I'd rather you speak five intelligible words, that means t- words in the language of the people, than a thousand words in a tongue. Mm-hmm. So no, short answer, we don't have anybody that I know of that's doing that, but I'm, it doesn't stop the Holy Spirit from raising up somebody to do that. True, yeah. So next question. This is more of a statement, but it simply says tongues in today's church, dot, 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 not so good. Oh. So, um, well, I don't know if you have a comment on that, but somebody's opinion is tongues no, are that's your opinion. not so good. Okay. I thank God that I speak in tongues. Yeah. And Paul said, I thank God that I speak in tongues. He said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. So why would you say that? You know, guys, don't go by denominational upbringing. Yeah. Go by the text. And this is what I said. From the beginning of the book of Acts, because this is when we get, I, I knew when we got into chapter two. Yeah. And by the way, tongues appears in chapter 10, chapter, I think chapter 8, 10, and it'll appear again in 19. Uh, five times it talks about a group of people being filled with the Holy Spirit. Four times tongues is evident. Mm-hmm. So there's just the one time where it's not. And, you know, go with the text. Don't go with, 
Well, this is what I was taught to believe. Okay, have you ever checked what you were taught to believe against the scriptures? And I tell this to the church here at Waters all the time. Hey, if I'm not teaching what's in the text, you have every right to challenge me. But you better make sure you do your homework and check it out. Okay, because I'm going to go with the text. If that's what the text teaches, I'm going to teach the text. Now, text needs to be interpreted, and there are scientific rules and theological principles about interpreting texts uh, that we could go on and on about, but I don't have time for. But tongues is absolutely a gift. It's the gift. It's the manifestation gift of the Holy Spirit. Why would you say something that God gives to the church yeah. is bad? Yeah. No, no, no. That's a bad attitude. Yeah. Next question. So from uh, Melissa Dumas, uh, the Holy Spirit, does the Holy Spirit always stay with you once you've received it? Or is it as long as you stay connected with the Lord that the Holy Spirit stays with you? The Holy Spirit never leaves you. Mm. Period. End of story. Uh, He will always be with you. You know, the Lord does not give up on his people. A lot of people get so scared about losing their salvation. Mm. Well, whose salvation is it, first of all? (laughs) When when David repents in uh, Psalm 51, remember that he says, Restore unto me the joy of your Mm. salvation. That's Psalm 51. Yeah. It's not my salvation, your salvation. Another scripture, Jonah 2, verse 9. Jonah's in the belly of the whale. Yeah. He's singing to the Lord. He knows he's messed up. What does he say in Jonah 2, 9? He says, salvation is from the Lord. So God is the author of salvation. Right. You know, we, we run around saying, I, I found Jesus, or I found the Lord, or I came to the Lord, you know, or, or I got born again. Wait, wait, wait. It's like saying, I got born yeah. physically. In you know 1976. No thanks to mom. I, yeah, I didn't do that. Right, <laughs> like, right. right. So and it's funny how Jesus refers to our new birth experience through the illustration of our first birth experience, which is that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. To Nicodemus in John three, you had nothing to do with your first birth. How can you take credit for your second birth? Mm. Uh, my point is that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. So the word of God, we've got to go preach to the nations because guess what? Through the preaching of the word, faith comes into the birth person's body into the spirit, and they respond to God's work upon their heart. We'll get to that when we get to Lydia in Acts chapter 16, where it says the Lord opened her heart to receive the message of Paul. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, Paul. So um, the Holy Spirit, Melissa, is going to stay with you. Now, here's what we are commanded to do in Ephesians 5.18. We are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and the word be filled with the Holy Spirit is in the present imperative, which means which literally could be translated, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we get filled with the Holy Spirit? We, we pray for it. We ask God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. We get into communities of assemblies, and we worship the Lord. And I believe the Holy Spirit fills us through worship. And I believe that when we receive the Word, we yeah. worship. And guess what? This is an area where people don't realize they're going to get filled with the Holy Spirit. When you step out of faith and start serving. Yeah. You know what? I'm, step out in something that you're scared to do. What does Jesus say to the disciples? He said, don't worry beforehand about what you're going to say when they drag you before principalities and rulers. Don't worry, because the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. And we're going to see in, next, in the next chapter in the book of Acts, chapter 4, when it says that they, they challenged Peter and John uh, because they were preaching Jesus and they didn't, want, they didn't want them to do anymore, that the Bible says that Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit. So at the challenge where he's on trial for his faith, mm. the Holy Spirit comes in. A lot of Christians don't ever feel the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know why? They never step out in faith. That's good. Step out in faith and watch the Holy Spirit fill you. I know I feel the Holy Spirit fill me on a regular basis when I preach. I feel it. 
but it's in the act of serving. The Holy Spirit is going to empower you to do what God wants to get done in this world. So start partnering with what God wants to get done in this world, and I guarantee you, you're going to fill the Holy Spirit on a regular yeah. basis. Amen. Amen. Okay, next question. Um, so <laughs> you might have touched on it, but it says, please go over Hebrews 10, 26 through 39. Apparently, this person wants you to preach a whole message. <laughs> go. Well, this, uh, this has come in a couple of times. I'm, I'm a, I have a feeling, even though it's different numbers, I think it's the same, same person. person. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go over it because I know exactly the question. And I'm going to read the passage, or at least part of it. And the question is, can I commit a sin as a Christian that's so grievous mm. that I lose my salvation? Right. Okay. Here's the passage. Hebrews 10, 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer, or there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord would judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to approach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were treated so, so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you had better possessions and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great Throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And I don't need to read the rest, but I'll, I'll just stop there. Okay. I just mentioned that there are interpretation principles. Right. So here's what you do. If you lift that one line mm. off the page of Scripture and you say, well, here it is, Pastor. It says if we continue to go on deliberately sinning after knowing Jesus, there's no more sacrifice. We're going to hell. That's really what they're saying. Right. Okay. Again. In that I, accent. Yeah, in that yeah. accent. Because they're all from the Bible Belt. <laughs> right. They have to be. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to disrespect the questioner. I appreciate the question. But you can't just lift passages out of context. Um, my seminary professors used to say, any text without a context is a pretext. Mm -hmm. Which means you need to know what is being said around the text. Now, I would challenge this person... Please read through the whole book of Hebrews. Yeah. Because that's principle number one. When you read a text, and you have to understand that when I preach on the on the weekend, I've already read the whole book in one, you know, usually in one sitting before I preach that text. Yeah. Because I want to know what was the original intention of the entire book of the Bible. Right. Not the whole Bible, but that book in the that Bible. That book, yeah. To its original hearers in the context in which they were hearing that word. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. So what is the book of Hebrews? The book of Hebrews is, is kind of like a sermon and letter smushed into one. And it is addressed to, guess who? Uh, Hebrews. There you go. What are Hebrews? Jews. Jews. And Jews were the people who received the covenant of Sinai, which, by the way, is mentioned in this passage. Okay, yeah. The covenant of Sinai, the Ten Commandments, and they were converted Jews to Christianity, which, by the way, and we're going to learn this in the book of Acts, Christianity was a Jewish sect 
for 10 years. Mm-hmm. There were no Gentiles in the church for 10 years. Wow. People don't realize yeah. that. So anyway, the Jews who came to Christ, can, well, get, we, we talked about this actually in the Revelation podcast uh, season. Last, last season. year, yeah. It was very hard to maintain your uh, faith in Christ as a Jew. Right. Because not all Jews received Christ. Mm-hmm. And if you received Christ, you were in many ways uh, excommunicated from your synagogue, which brought profound uh, legal protect, which removed profound legal protections from you as a Jew in first century Rome. Here's the protection. The Romans had great respect for any religion that came before their pagan religions. And one of those religions was Judaism. Mm Mm-hmm. So as long as your religious practice predated ours, the Romans said, you're fine. But anyone who adopted a new religion had to first follow the Roman religion Mm. and then add their new religion to it. Well, guess what happens if you're a Jew Mm -hmm. and you become a Christian and you get excommunicated from the synagogue because you're a Christian now. Now the Romans don't have an exemption for you. Right. Your exemption's gone. Now your life is at stake. So the Hebrews that they're written, this, the Hebrews that this is being written to were in danger of abdicating their alliance or allegiance to Jesus for the sake of public opinion. Yeah. And basically what he's saying there is the sinning, first of all, that he's talking about is to disbelieve. Yeah. In the context of chapter 10, is to continue to disbelieve in Christ as your Savior for the sake of cultural appropriation or cultural accommodation. So that's the context. Don't take that context and then slap it on Christians that you know who are sinning in ways that you don't approve of to make them anxious. (laughs) Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Because this is what these people do. I knew it because I grew up with this kind of thing. Well, you know, there's certain sins you commit. That's it. You're done. You're out. Okay, what sins? Well, the ones that we don't do. (laughs) (laughs) It's always the ones that we don't do that that you can't do. Okay, I get it. So you get to make the rules about what sins people can't keep on doing, and the ones that you keep on doing, they're okay. Mm -hmm. I said this to our church years back. I said, I grew up in an Italian Pentecostal church. You know, uh, drinking was a sin. Mm -hmm. Dancing was a sin. Actually, drinking wasn't a sin. They were Italians. Sorry. Um, Dancing was a sin. (laughs) Uh, Cards, playing cards were a sin. Uh, Um... uh, Casinos were a sin. Gambling was a sin. Um, R-rated movie. Any movie. Not R-rated. It sounds like the any movie, movie. Footloose. Just anything yeah, in Footloose. the movie Footloose you could not do. Bingo. Yes. Right. So it was bing- It was Footloose generation, but Pentecostal. Right. Well, these people would talk about how awful all those people were. Then they'd go to the buffet at, after church and gluttony. gorge themselves. <laughs> That's called gluttony. Yeah. And by the way, I, went, I grew up in that church. Everybody was severely overweight. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Everybody. Substituting one sin for another. Yeah. It, yeah. Okay, so is that gluttonous person who continues to go to the buffet, who rejects dieting, who does not take care of their temple, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, mm. they're continuing to deliver the sin. They must be in hell, all those people. No, man. Yeah. Give me a break. That's not what it's saying. And I want to say this because I know the question, like I said, I know the question is that if you keep on sinning, you'll go to hell as a Christian. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Do you still sin? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not asking you. I'm asking the question, okay. but thank you for your honesty because yeah, well, I you still know. sin. Yeah. Do you sometimes sin when you know it's sin? Don't sin when you don't Do you sin? sometimes sin when you know it's sin? Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. We all do. Yeah. 
We all do this. So you're telling me that if you sin and you know it's sin, that's it. I'm, you're done. I'm going to hell. Yeah. Oh, man, you're on shaky ground with your salvation. Good yeah. luck to you. I mean, you, you, you have my permission to be anxious until Jesus comes. I, <laughs> I would rather you rest in the finished work of Jesus. Amen. Long story short. Anyway, that was a long answer to a question that had been coming in a couple times. I wanted to spend some time on that. Good. All right. Um, next question. Uh, so a friend, oh, I've actually had this uh, said to me a lot by some non-believers, <laughs> but this comes in. A friend who is not a believer always asks if God knows all and supposedly loves everyone and sent Jesus to die so no one could go to hell, then why did he even create humans knowing that many would be lost for eternity? Okay, well, the question it comes from the the angle of a person who's trying to understand God through mm. those who reject him. Right. That's never a good choice. Yeah. You you want to understand God through those who worshiped him. So the scriptures are written by God-fearers and God-worshippers. In fact, it was one of the tests of being uh canonized ancient writings that the person writing it had to have the fear of God. Huh. Okay. Well, then, in that case, what do the Scriptures teach about the created order? The Scriptures teach, number one, that God created it all. Number two, and this is what separates Christianity and Judaism from all other pagan religions, number two, the Creator is separate and distinct from creation. Yeah. So we don't worship creation because it was created. Mm -hmm. And no, God is not in the tree. <laughs> okay. Um, but third, and most important, is that creation is made to glorify God. And the reason why there is a creation is because it is in God's nature to create. Yeah. So creation reveals our creator. Okay, he, There is a creation because God is a creator. Mm -hmm. uh, scientists actually talk about the fact that the universe is still expanding. For years, they thought it was static. Yeah. Then they discovered, I think it was Hubble, the Hubble telescope or yeah. something. You know, they discovered, look, actually, it's there's an origin to the universe, which mm -hmm. was really a, a scary proposition for scientists. Sure. Because if there's an origin, guess what? There's an originator. Uh-huh. So now they have to confess that the cosmos was not all there ever was and all there ever was will be, a.k.a. Carl Sagan. Mm -hmm. They have to admit that there's a beginning to the creation, and it's expanding, by the way, according to scientific discovery, at a faster rate every moment. Yeah. Well, why is it expanding? Because our creator creates, and uh -huh. he's not done. It's so cool. Yeah. Right? So he's, Now, did he finish in the sense of, yes, he created the heavens and the earth, and then he created a garden, and the garden is kind of representative of the temple, man with God and peaceful harmony, and that ultimately that's the goal of God's intention is to have man dwelling with him? Yes. In that sense, it is finished. Uh, so God creates, and what happens is humans, the only free-willed human the only two free-willed human people, human beings on the planet ever were Adam, who was joined with his wife, mm -hmm. by the way, who was not called Eve until after Ab sin. Yeah. So it's Adam, man and wife, and Jesus. Yeah. Those are the only two people that had free will. These, these Christians who think they have free will, you do not have free will. <laughs> <laughs> you are enslaved. The will is enslaved. You need to read Jonathan Edwards about this. You need to read Augustine about this. The will is enslaved to sin. It needs to be set free from its bondage to sin. Okay, well, anyway, how do we get into bondage? Because the free will of Adam chose freely to follow the devil. Okay? Well, that subjected creation to the disorder that's in now. 
And long story short is God creates and generously redeems the one part of creation that had free will and chose against him. Mm. The question is never, why does God send people to hell? Because we chose it. In Adam and Eve, we chose it. Now you say, I don't like that. That's not fair. They made a decision for me. The scripture is trying to illustrate that if you were in their position, you would have done the same thing. Right. And the unfairness of that being in Adam and therefore being, you know, destined to eternal damnation apart from the intervention of God. Well, it is completely balanced by the fact that one man's act of righteousness, Jesus on the cross, has secured your redemption forever. Yeah. And this is what Paul talks about in Romans 5. One man's sin is undone by one man's righteousness. Mm -hmm. Now, the question is, do you believe? And, you know, people, the questioner says, you know, why would, you know, why would he even start the whole, I think the question is really, why would God start the whole thing if he knew this was going to happen? Well, he is, this is his nature. It is revealing who he is. And so we know him not only as creator, but guess what? We know him as gracious redeemer. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to save us. He didn't have to save. He didn't have to save Adam and Eve. At that moment, he could have struck them dead and been done with it. Yeah. But he reveals himself as Creator and Redeemer. And and you know what the Scripture talks about? That angels long to look into the things that we as Christians get to experience. I, aka redemption. Yeah. Yeah. Think about this. Angels know us. Angels know God as Creator. They'll never know Him as Redeemer. Redeemer. Yeah. We get to know God as Creator and Redeemer. Good. Yeah. And think about it. Is your heart not stirred by the story of the prodigal son? Mm. Is your heart not stirred when you see somebody who's on the on the throes of in the throes of sin and death and, and, and addiction to come back and have life? Yeah. That's a beautiful story. What is it doing? It is glorifying the nature and the character of our God. So don't ask questions based on what happens to people or based on, you know, people who hate God. Ask questions based on people who love God. Yeah. Long story. Long, long answer for a short question, but Good. I hope it helps. Why do Protestants deny the Catholic, Catholic doctrine about the Eucharist and contraception? Yeah, well, the Protestants deny a lot more than that. <laughs> but we just want to know about these two. Just these two. Okay, well, the Eucharist is, you know, you guys got to know your Catholic doctrines here. They, they consider it a re-sacrifice of Christ. Yeah. Uh, we cannot accept that. Hebrews 10 talks about this once and for all, the sacrifice of Christ. So we do not believe in transubstantiation. We do not believe that the elements become the body and blood of Jesus. Um, at the same time, I don't believe that they are merely symbolic either. There is a significance to what we partake in at, at communion. Um, I, I, but we don't believe that they actually become the physical body and blood of right. Jesus. Okay. Anyway... Um, there's a lot of things that we disagree with between Protestants and Catholics, um, those two being one. You, uh, con contraception. Uh, I looked up the, uh, the uh, Catholic doctrine of contraception. I have some notes here. I don't have time to go through it all. I didn't realize how in-depth it was. Yeah. I was reading it. You know, they have a lot of reasons for what they believe, mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm not going to get too deep into that. I think that you have to understand that you want to follow Christ and Christ alone. And not to put your faith in a denomination That's of good. any sort. Yeah, Not even our church. Like when I do the altar call for hands raised moment at the end of our service, many times I will say, hey, this prayer doesn't save you. I don't save you. Our church doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Right. So what does the angel say to Mary? He will save his people from their sins. Mm -hmm. It is Jesus who saves. Don't get too caught up in the, well, why do you believe and why do they believe? Worship Christ, serve Christ, fear Christ, honor Christ. 
That's that's my answer to that. Good answer. I don't want to get too deep into that. Okay. All right. One more question. I think we have a lot of time for one more. You got one more? Um, but I got to pick one now. Where can a man turn to other than the Bible to learn what a biblical husband looks like? Nowhere. I, I, is that from a wife? But, uh, I yeah. don't know. Nowhere. What do you mean? Where can he turn to? Where do you want to go to? The Hindu faith <laughs> that teaches that if you die, your wife has to be burned on your funeral pyre? Like, really? Yeah. I mean, you want to go to Muslim faith? I'm serious. Come on. But the question's right there to tell me what a biblical <laughs> yeah. husband The answer looks is in like. the question. Yes. The Bible. Right. Go to the Bible. Yes. And now, oh, by the way, I think that this is, the qu- this is a good answer to it. Uh, the Bible is not saying, hey, be like Abraham. Mm. <laughs> because Sleep remember, Abraham your, uh, yeah. slept with his wife's servant and also pimped her out twice to save his own skin. True. Yep. Uh, <laughs> mm. Pimped out his wife. Um, David committed adultery, had many wives. Uh, Jacob had two wives, uh, concubines. You know, look, we're not supposed to emulate these men. We're supposed to look to the true Abraham, the true Jacob, the true David. That's Jesus. He is the true husband. What does he do? Well, you know, again, everything that we are instructed to do in Christian witness and living is predicated on the life of Jesus, the the life. How does he live? As he is, so we are in this world, 1 John says. So we are to emulate and imitate Jesus. Husbands look to Jesus. And the Bible is all about him. So while Abraham can foreshadow Jesus, Jesus is the true Abraham. Mm -hmm. While Noah can foreshadow Jesus, Jesus is the true Noah. So we look to him, and how does he deal with his wife? He lays down his wife, life for his wife. He loves her. The Bible says he cleanses her and washes her with the, with the washing of his word. So a biblical husband should be strong in the word, should be strong in the scriptures, should teach his children the discipline and fear of the Lord, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Um, this is the role of husbands biblically. Mm. Yeah, there's nowhere else. All right, go to the Bible. Yeah, go to the Bible. All right, well, that was question and answer number one. I want to thank you, Chris, for being here. Thank you for having me. And I'm glad that you were here on Tuesday night. And uh, by the way, always remember to like and subscribe us on YouTube. Follow us on all our social media accounts. They're usually whatever the social media is, Facebook.com, Instagram.com, Twitter.com, YouTube.com, slash The Deep End TV. Like and subscribe. Follow us. We're glad to have you. And we will see you next week on the deep end. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End Podcast. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and in your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End Podcast.